Welcome, Internet, to the Pixel Play Podcast, your weekly podcast where we get together to dive into all of the news, rumors, and discussions going on in the gaming world. I am one of your co-hosts, Kalen, a.k.a. Catastrophe, joined as always by my co-host, Adam, CS Radical. This week, ladies and gentlemen, is episode 30, which means we are coming to you live on twitch.tv forward slash CS Radical. If you're joining us, feel free to talk in the chat, send your questions, let us know your opinions. If you're catching this late, we record every 10th episode live at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on twitch.tv forward slash CS Radical. However, if you missed us, you can always catch us on YouTube at Pixel Play Podcast, or you can reach us out on Twitter and Instagram at Pixel Play Cast. And you can always send your emailed questions to us at pixelplaypodcast at gmail.com. In this week's episode, we are going to be talking about remasters. Two new studios are coming out, admitting that they are rumored to be building uh, some remasters. And we're going to talk about what that means both for the industry and what we can expect from those studios. Uh, we're also going to be talking about rumors regarding PSVR 2. Adam is coming in hot with a rant, and we are going to be giving an untimely review for Final Fantasy Intergrade DLC. Adam, let's get started right into it. How are you doing, my friend? It is the hottest day I think we've had so far in this in this province, and it is not mm-hmm. fun. I am looking over at my uh, thermometer right now. It says it's just shy of 30 degrees Celsius in this room. I don't believe it. But at the same time, I still believe it. But other than that, I mean, my cars in the shop are also overheating. So who knows? Maybe there's a trend going on in this. I got some hot takes on this show. My car is overheated. I'm overheating in this room as we speak. I feel like the title of the show should be 30 episodes of nonstop hot stuff. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of uh, it's, it's it's interesting that it's all, you know, it's all about the 30s and the heat and the humidity and the hot takes. It's way too you, it's way too ironic. I don't know how I feel about this. All the stars are aligning, my friend. Yes. Um. Let's just jump right into it, Adam. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with remasters? Do you want to start with PSVR? Or do you want to get the hot take out of the way? I mean, can we do the virtual reality first? Because maybe it puts me in a world where I'm not in this, like, sauna of a room. Sure. Let's escape from your hot sauna, the desert in which you live in. And let's jump into the future and talk PSVR 2. Ladies and gentlemen, this is coming to you from Kotaku. Uh, Article is by Alexandra Hall. She writes, uh, a video posted today by popular YouTube VR channel PSVR Without Parole purports to have new information about Sony's next generation virtual reality hardware. PSVR Without Parole. Uh, PSVR Without Parole claims to have sourced fresh information from a private conference Sony held on Tuesday uh, for prospective PSVR 2 developers, the occurrence of which was independently corroborated by Upload VR. So, jumping into what they're talking about, uh, the codename for the platform is NGVR, obviously stands for Next Generation VR, um, but it'll probably be called PSVR 2 when it's related. Uh, so we're going to get a little bit nerdy with the technical details. Once again, Adam and I, this is not necessarily our specialty, but we could talk about it a little bit. Uh, as uploaded VR reported in May, PSVR 2 display will have a resolution of 2000 by 2040 per eye, which is a solid little bump above the world's current most popular headset, the Oculus Quest 2. In addition, PSVR without parole suggests the screen will utilize OLED display technology and support high dynamic range, HDR, potentially giving it a more vibrancy, deeper blacks, and greater brightness than Quest 2 more typical non-HDR LCD display. So we're already seeing a little bit of a better screen uh, and a little bit more color there. The new kit will supposedly feature a 110 degree field of view, up 10 degrees from Sony's original PSVR, and around 20 better than the slightly scuba masked feeling Oculus Quest 2. 
This field of view will accomplish will be accomplished in part via Fresno lens, which come with pros and cons that the Quest users are already well acquainted with. Uh, perhaps the biggest news back in May was the PSVR 2 will feature eye tracking capability, which will make possible a much desired performance improving technique called foveated rendering. Today's video suggests that PSVR 2 will also feature another new technology called Flexible Scaling Resolution, or FSR, which concentrates the rendering resources on the player's area of focus to further reduce the load on PS5 hardware. So as I'm reading it, what it'll kind of do is where you're looking is where it'll spend most of the time, you know, rendering and then kind of as it gets further out from where you're focusing, it'll kind of not render as much. Um, but it's not entirely clear how FSVR will differ from foveated rendering. Um, as for the controllers, PSVR without parole corroborates PSVR upload VR's information from May that PSVR 2 will have some haptic feedback in the headset to help reduce motion sickness, apparently via a rotary motor. Uh, also back in March, the Sony blog revealed PSVR's two controller design. We've already talked about that in depth, but today's video describes these as capacitive touch sensors that have an analog quality to them that will let them uh, will let them sense the positions of your fingers even when your fingertips hover over them. PSVR 2 will be able to use this data to make guesses about pinky and ring finger positions, ostensibly allowing for more natural in-game gesturing. Ooh, that might not work well. Finally, for some more interesting tidbits dropped via the vid concerning software. The claim is that Sony is looking to move away from so-called VR experiences, uh, referring to things like, you know, where you're Batman, like the Batman detective game, or, you know, where you're going in a scuba tank and just seeing some sharks swim around. Um, and they're going to go for more console quality AAA games. Further, it's said that Sony thinks the best way to accomplish this is to create hybrid games that support both conventional display and virtual reality, sort of like Capcom did with Resident Evil 7. Apparently, the intent is to let the player download just the version they want to play, standard or VR, saving on download size. Um, so they didn't talk about, uh, PSVR as well. So it says, uh, there wasn't any explicit mention of PSVR 2 being backwards compatible with PSVR games, uh, which seems mildly concerning. A lack of backward compatibility with older VR purchases would be a big misstep. So they're expecting that Sony will make, take care of its earliest adopters. Um, however, Sony did mention intend to make a big push to remaster PSVR 1 games to new hardware. So it'd be interesting where that goes. So Adam. First of all, did you find that PSVR, like the original one, was a success? And do you think that uh, PSVR 2 is going to exceed that? I personally don't know, like, financially whether it was a success or not. I thought that it did exactly what it needed to do when it first came out. Now, I didn't buy <laughs> one because I don't have the money to kind of burn around, to, you know, get a virtual reality experience along with everything else. I barely afford new games. So what the hell am I going to do with a, with a VR controller? But I figured that what they were doing was a bit different from what all the other VRs were doing in that you need a full room for most VRs like your Oculus and things like that, whereas PSVR you can just as easily do on your couch because it's more just mm -hmm. looking around. There are some experiences where you would still want to have that extra space, but like you could play Borderlands in VR and just mm -hmm. literally you're just playing and just being able to look around like you would if you were actually there. And I thought that was a really good idea. And furthermore, because they want to concentrate on more of a AAA experience, like you said, with Resident Evil 7, it makes perfect sense. Because if you got first-person games, it makes perfect sense to throw it in VR. It, se it seems pretty mm -hmm. easy to me that, like, if Call of Duty is going to come out with a first-person shooter every year, that's a great moneymaker for people who own a VR thing. Because I don't know if it means that 
they'll have them bought separately or if maybe like you pay an extra 20 bucks on top of the the, the normal version and you get the vr version i don't know if it's a separate purchase entirely at, at the same price not really sure but either way like that's going to be the key with psvr 2 or whatever they end up naming it it's going to be that it needs to have a game library that makes it worthwhile otherwise it's just what it always has been it's just you know extra hardware for someone who has a little bit extra to burn and just kind of have sit on the shelf once in a blue moon but i mean in terms of what we've seen like we've already seen some of the what the controllers are looking like and the extra haptics and stuff i think everything on paper gives it something that at least intrigues me when normally I wouldn't even think twice about getting something like this. Now I'm actually like, okay, now I'm curious. Now let's just see what you got for the games. And that might actually like push me further into maybe saving up for that rather than something else. Will it be enough? Who knows? But at the, at this current juncture, I'm at least curious, which is far more than the original VR ever did for me. Yeah, I, I think PSVR, the original... Um, I, I had one and it was cool. And I feel like, was it a success? I'd say yes, but with like a caveat, like they went an interesting route in that they were for more or less like the, they were the, they were the approachable. They were the, you know, one that you can go into that didn't require a thousand dollar gaming PC and then, you know, resources. So they were, they were an easy entry for people to get in and test the, the, the waters and kind of explore the technology was it a hit in terms of having master games you had to play no i mean there were games that were worth playing but not all of them there was no real sort of triple a must-have game i mean i'm thinking like beat saber was a good one and like this the playstation studios didn't do a huge amount like i remember there was like rigs and there was um blood, blood and truth, truth was a big like one that. yeah but it it wasn't in the sense that it lit the world on fire that it was a must play game. Like it was like if you have it, it's worth getting. But like they kind of got weird. I think one of the hiccups with the PSVR was the fact that they never came out with a a, a motion controller. Uh, the fact that they were using the PlayStation Move that they had created before, I think, kind of hindered it and limited it. And so then they came up with the. I forget what it was the, the gun that they had which is basically just like some pvc piping with a move controller attached to it oh okay. and yeah yeah and those became hard to get and so like even now i don't even know where you could buy one. Oh, and here's another good one is uh was the um that's the blood and truth but there was another one it was uh i expect you to die and that was another good sort of oh, one that right, my yeah. wife and i enjoyed playing but once again it was never one of those like oh man you have to play this watching them people play it, it kind of makes me want to play this now <laughs> that's that's always the thing with vr games like whenever you see it being played you're like man it looks so good and then you play I'm it and be like all right this is pretty fun but like I'm i spent a to, lot of money for this it's always the challenge with vr yeah and that's the thing now here's where i'm thinking like i think having a better controller was going to be good um and i think there, there's benefits there my concern is i'm hearing all these things that they're talking about and what i hear is that this this sounds expensive yeah, And I think that is going to be a big challenge for PSVR 2 is that you now have this console and I imagine like I think when PSVR 2 came out, it was like 250 bucks and that was just basically for the headset that didn't even include the controllers which you had to buy separately and now with these new controllers I imagine they're going to get bundled in I could see this thing costing four five hundred bucks for one of these and that's a pretty big ask without a killer app there. 
you you might be paying the price for a console just to have the VR version of said thing. So exactly, I think one of the other things, and they haven't talked about it yet, that I think is going to be a key uh, a key focus for this is that if they don't have um, if it's wired, I think that's going to be another hindrance. Like for me, I've got my my system, but it's like oh, I got to take out the wires, I got to plug it all in, and you know it's cumbersome and it's annoying. So I think wireless is going to be a key factor that I think will kind of make or break the console because like it's not nice to have it sit there with all the wires and stuff on your front display. So I think they need something that is wireless. I mean, unless like, as, as we've said before with other consoles, like we talked about the switch recently for the similar reasons, like if there's a library Mm -hmm. that's actually really, really good on the VR, it might actually like let you kind of like be okay with some of the things, like you said, the wire mess and things like that, because if the games are that much fun and worth it, then maybe mm-hmm. it's something that you actually look at and be like, you know what? It is a bit of a hassle, but man, it's fun when I get to use it. A hundred percent. And this was going to bring up my next question. What do you think of the decision of Sony to move away from what it called the PSVR experiences and go for a more AAA gaming experience? Well, I mean, I can say it in one thing only. If you want to do a VR experience, let Oculus take that. You're a game console, make games. Mm-hmm. I don't care about experiences. You mm-hmm. know, when I first saw the trailer, for example, of the Final Fantasy 15. VR experience, I'm like, oh, okay, so we, we're just going to sit in a car and stare at Sin- Sydney. I'm like, okay, that's something, I guess. But, like, what's the game? You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested in some bare-bones experience where you do, like, the bare minimum just to, so you can, you know, see some pretty stuff in VR, which, don't get me wrong, if it's pretty, it's pretty. But I'm more interested in playing a game because that's what I expect to do on a PlayStation console, not some random vr system that comes from an outside source it isn't necessarily a game company mm-hmm. so if they want to do I, like the actual like okay we're only going to make triple a games and stuff like again with something like say skyrim vr was or borderlands 2 vr and if we translate this into any first party game like playing a doom game in vr playing call of duty or battlefield or anything like that like that's something that gets my attention a little bit more because you know even if they're a little bit wonky. It's still like, instead of your library and you're staring at Blood and Truth, which most people don't know what it is, or Astro, uh, Astro Rescue Bot, I think it was, or, or Moss, or things like Astro's that. Astro's Playroom, yeah. Well, Astro's Playroom was the one that came with the PS5. Oh, yeah, sorry, thank you. Astro's, re- yeah, you're I, right. I think Rescue Bot was the name, or Astro Bot, mm-hmm. or something like that. But like, you think of all these games, and they're not, they don't get your attention. But if you look at your your interest in buying a psvr and you see call of duty games on the shelf and you see doom games on the shelf and you see things like that like if the next well i guess it wouldn't be Fallout because that's bethesda now which we'll get into i guess not too long after but for anything of like that like that gets your attention a little bit faster than say moss ever will like no offense to those developers but like moss versus say battlefield 6 or whatever it ends up being you know the first vr battlefield game if that's a direction that ends up happening you're going to probably more be more interested in that big name than you will Moss, which, you know, that's what gets people to buy these systems because who knows how many PSVRs are still sitting on store shelves that are just waiting to be sold. Mm-hmm. I think there's an issue, though. Uh, the idea, like, having a AAA gaming experience, I think, is what PSVR needs. My question is, how many people are going to adopt it? I mean for third parties to go ahead and build a VR component game, like unless Sony is footing the bill for that, like I don't see a lot of developers jumping on the bit to create a whole other way of playing their game. I mean that there's development costs and development questions that are raised by making it accessible for VR. Um, Especially if you have something like a third party game, like how do you do that? 
So I think there's challenges that are going to bring it across. The other thing that kind of, I think, is a detriment to it is the idea that Sony has tried in the past to get their first party studios to be the flagships of their games. And I think of things like Zipper Interactive, which was the developers for the PlayStation Vita. They did Unit 13, I think. They got shut down. Uh, you know, Gorilla, Cam Gorilla Cambridge did the Rigs PSVR first party game. They got shut down. Uh, and then even like the Manchester studio that was work that was founded in 2015 to work on a PSVR game, they were shut down before they even closed. So Sony doesn't have a great track record in terms of building parties or assigning party like studios to build first party games for these sort of niche systems. And then if it doesn't work well, they close them. And so I can't think of any developers that would be chomping at the bit or willingly taking the mantle of being the one to make a psvr AAA game because there's a lot riding on it and if you don't get it right there's not a good track record of what happens to those studios well i mean this would be a great time then to bring in an old franchise and give that a good shot like maybe that's maybe this is where Killzone comes back into the into the the, uh, the fray and maybe you take a shot at that because that's probably what you have to do first you have to take a couple of major games and vrify them and you would have to come straight from first party studios at Sony. So that way you at least can show you're serious. And if they end up doing okay, like even if, you know, PSVR 2 sales might not be great at the time, but if the games get really, really high reviews, that gets people's attention. And maybe you can start using that to go to other developers and say, hey, like, is this something you'd be interested in? If they're a little bit weary, say like, look, we'll front part of the cost. We'll do a deal with you, mm -hmm. like whatever else. Because I mean, we've seen this before with developers working on, you know, exclusive content for Sony or Microsoft or anything else like that. So Sony, I'm sure could like say like, look, we'll do this brand deal with you guys. We'll, f we'll maybe shoot a little bit of money your ways to cover some of the cost. Like there's always a bunch of ways they can do it because they're going to have to make a good push to really get this one out of the park. Because I mean, I don't, again, I don't know what the financial results were of the original console or I guess the original hardware, but they really need to make this one stick. I would imagine. So I figure they're going to take a pretty good shot at it this time instead of just, you know, you know, kind of haphazardly throw a few games out into the ether. I think they know that they have to do a little bit more on this one to kind of get the attention. And it won't just be the hardware, even though it's gotten my foot at least in the door, but it's going to take a lot more than that to really, like, keep me in there, shut the door behind me, and grab a hold of this thing. So there, there's some work yeah. to be done, but at least as we get closer to knowing what it's going to look like, what it's going to play like, what might even be announced for it that we don't know about yet... It's at least generating more of a buzz than I think the, the first one ever did. And I think that's already a win in their book. Now it's just a matter of following through. Yeah, I think uh, so. I'm just looking here and they said that the original PSVR as of January 1st, 2020 uh, had sold 5 million units. So clearly it was a success and they that's knew it was bad, a small no. little project. No, that's really good. And I'm not trying to be negative about this. I want a PSVR 2. I liked my PSVR 1. I hope it succeeds. However, I'm getting very much playstation vita vibes and that's concerning to me you know playstation vita had a lot of great technology behind it like it was a technologically powerful machine and it died on the grapevine and it, it was supposed to have you know first party developed games focused on it and then it died and it was basically because of the concerns that i have for this is that it was very expensive uh so not a lot of people got in a lot of game developers made these games they didn't sell through quickly because you know, they were too expensive to make and for the player base that they had to do it. So like, I want it to succeed. I do, but I am very much see 
getting, like I said, a, a PlayStation Vita vibe from it. And that concerns me. So I want it to do well, but yeah. I mean, only time will tell. And, you know, I'm holding out that, you know, we actually get something pretty good because I've said it before, like every time we invent something new, it's always going to be really rough when it first starts. I'm hoping that what this one specifically does is shows us what we're going to get towards now. Like we're now in the steps mm. of like, okay, now we're starting to get a hang of it. Now let's start making some cool stuff for it. So I'm kind of hoping for that. Yeah. Like I am too. I am too. I just, like I said, I'm getting some vibes that don't drive well. Uh, let's speaking of like, we've been talking about what's coming down the future. Let's look back at the past. Uh, so we've got a couple rumors going around about remasters coming from some studios um, particularly take two and Bethesda. I'm going to start with, uh, Riono, uh, Rhiannon, uh, Bevan at the gamer who's talking about take two. So, uh, they write as spotted by fans, take two's interactives latest or sorry. Yeah. Um, take two's interactives, latest financial fiscal report suggests we have three remakes or remasters coming in 2022. According to a slideshow put together for the for the report, these three new iterations of previously released titles have not been announced to the public yet, but should launch next year. The document doesn't reveal which Take Two subsidiaries, Rockstar, Take Two, and Private Division is developed in the title, making it hard to narrow down. However, the possible candidates include franchises like Bioshock, Borderlands, Civ, and Red Dead Redemption. Uh, a next-gen upgrade for Red Dead Redemption 2 would be a likely pick, considering it was among the last big releases to launch exclusively for 8th generation hardware. Borderlands 3, of course, already has a next-gen upgrade, but that doesn't rule out the previous games in the series getting a PS5 Xbox Series X S release, uh, especially considering that it would coincide with the spinoff Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Uh, and then this is coming from Wired Up Reports about Bethesda. According to information gathered by YouTube, Skullzy TV, usually well-informed about the world of Bethesda Game Studios. The company, now part of the Xbox Game Studios, would have opened a new internal studio that will focus on remasters and remakes. According to what we learn, the team in question would be known by the name of Artifact Studios and should deal with remakes of old titles. The YouTuber said he heard about the opening of this new division of Bethesda from two completely separate sources, and, has, and this led him to think that the rumor may actually have some basis. However, it is the same Skulls TV to warn his fellow followers specifically that uh, a rumor is not confirmed in any way by Microsoft or Bethesda itself. So, Adam, real quick, Take-Two and Bethesda, what games do you think they're... We know there's three coming from Take-Two. Which ones do you think those are? What do I think they'll be? Red Dead 1, mm -hmm. what I imagine, would have to be one of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to make the joke that it's just going to be three versions of GTA 5 again, but... <laughs> Red Dead 1 makes sense. Um, I'd probably lean to say GTA 4. And then after that... Because after that, you, now you have to start going back to like older games. And I'm still thinking like... I, I don't remember what everything is Undertake 2. My brain is just circling Rockstar right now. Because all mm -hmm. I'm thinking is like Max Payne. Mm -hmm. But uh, if, if... I mean, if I actually had the choice, I'd love them just to do the old PlayStation 2 games. And just do all three of like if there's three games, there's your three right there. You do GTA three, Vice City, and San Andreas all in one shot. And yeah. I think for a lot of people that would be huge. I know I know there's some people that would be like, I'm immediately into four and I and I need four really badly. I'm sitting nobody's, there. Nobody's like, nobody's cramming for four. That I, is not I, the Grand Theft Auto that people are pushing for. I know a few people that are clamoring for it. I don't like those people, but I know a few people. You, 
Adam, I'm sorry, you know all the people claiming for Grand Theft Auto 4. Jeez, I, I must I must know some really really small anomalies levels of people. I don't know, man. <laughs> I think I think I, I think you're totally right. I think Grand Theft Auto is one of the games that they're gonna remake. And I think the game that they're going to remake is Vice City. I think that's the one that most people are clamoring for. Um, and I think like it's a it's a great game. Lots of people love it, but I don't know if the controls necessarily hold up well enough that going back makes sense. So I think, yeah, having a Grand Theft Auto Vice City um, is probably the way to go for that one. I, I think Bioshock is another one that kind of would warrant a remake. Um, in terms of the other ones, I don't think like because they mentioned here like Civ. I don't think Civilization is going to get a remake. It would make a lot of sense because at that point, just Border- release a new Civ. Borderlands, once again, I don't know about Borderlands. What do you think of the idea of Red Dead Redemption? It would make sense because doing basically doing Red Dead Redemption one in the in the Red Dead Redemption two engine would be pretty damn good because that's a really nice engine, works really nicely. Mm-hmm. I mean, because because I've gone back and played Red Redemption one, it has not aged very well in comparison to say two. So I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would be really appreciative of that being given a nice facelift. But you know. It it really depends on what you're looking for, like, because if we do like say Vice City or any of the old PS2 GTA's, like you gotta you gotta do more than just remaster it because the controls are a little bit wonky. Because you know a lot of people may have forgotten, but the way GTA games used to control is not that great. So mm-hmm. there'd have to be some adjustments made there too. But I mean, like you said, like there's stuff outside of Rockstar. It's just again, my my brain is not looping into those at all. Yeah, some of the ones that kind of are standing up for me, I mean, they published L.A. Noir. Uh, I think they already did. They, oh, no, they did a VR version of that now that I think about it. That's yeah. Funny. I'm just looking at some of the other ones. Yeah, Bioshock is another one of the big ones. Those Bioshock sort of like would make sense. I think Bioshock is, is a sure thing. Same with, I think Vice City is going to be one. Because it really then, depends yeah. on what you're doing. Like Again, like my brain goes, if they were to release three san andreas and vice city all in one pop like that's a package deal like that's something that gets people's attention because that's something you put in a, in a big trailer and it gets people being like oh shit the remaster in three oh that's really cool and then they show vice city i'm really like oh shit like that mm-hmm. that'll get some real stuff going although if, again if it's three different things and you got bioshock in there you got red dead in there it's not like nobody's going to be disappointed of that yeah there's there's so many directions it could go and i think you know that's again you know as we were talking earlier with the with the vr2 like it's just creating that buzz of just people being like man that would be cool but oh that would be cool too like you start getting the brain going and that's what that's what gets you know the mojo running and then you just got to hope that they uh they don't disappoint you in the end but yeah in terms of uh bethesda and artifact studios what bethesda games would you want to see them remake or remaster Bethesda specifically? Oh God! I mean, I guess I can go with the easy one, which is just Fallout New Vegas. That's that's the easy. That's one the one right with. there. That's the that's the easy one. Because I mean, I, I don't I know, have, I'd like to... honestly, I haven't played nearly that many Bethesda games apart from you know your Fallout and uh, and Doom and and um, why am I blessed and Elder Scrolls? Like, mm-hmm. I guess Morrowind would be interesting because I remember playing Morrowind and getting lost all the time because the systems were a little bit different then. It would it would be nice if they kind of changed it a little bit again so I could actually, like, try to play it properly with a little bit better direction. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's stuff like that. Maybe even, like, you know, doing a return to Castle Wolfenstein. Like, there there's a few, like, gems in there that I like to see, but, I mean, New Vegas, if I'm picking one, it's going to be New Vegas. It's not even a question. 
Yeah, I, I think New Vegas is a is a very solid guess. I think the other one I'd like to see is I'd like to see Fallout 3. Because Fallout 3, I find, doesn't hold up well in terms of just, like, its color palette and stuff. So, like, it's very brown and very bleh. And that's a design choice, and I totally understand why, and it fits the aesthetic. But I think if you came out with a Fallout 3 with all that DLC included would be a huge, huge win. Um, and I think something that people would go for. Um, yeah, New Vegas is just, I think, the strongest of the, of the three games. So I would definitely think that that would be the one to go with um, and the one that people are clamoring for. Now, you mentioned Morrowind, and I, I know Morrowind's popular, but I almost wonder if they would go more for Oblivion. It wouldn't um, surprise me if they did. more. It's just because mm-hmm. I remember playing Morrowind and, and really liking it, but I got lost. And then, because there was a point where I put it down for like a month and then put it back on, and it doesn't tell you anything. So I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. it's kind of the thing that I'd, I'd like to see, like maybe a refresher with just like a slight bit of Skyrim systems, just so that way I can like replay it and be able to put it down and go back and not be lost like there's there's that little bit like i almost just want to be able to play it again to see if i actually liked it as much as i did mm-hmm. oblivion i don't know for some reason i never got into i tried and within a couple hours i didn't like it maybe just the intro didn't catch me mm-hmm. i mean i think it's all this point of discussion is all moot because really what they're just going to release is just a remake of skyrim it's always Skyrim. It'll be it'll be the biggest cop outs. It'll be Red Dead Redemption Two, Skyrim, and GTA Five again. You know. Yeah. Uh, now you brought up an interesting question, and I was going to talk to you about this in terms of remakes. Where do you stand on terms of what makes a good remake? So you were talking about taking something like Morrowind and taking and changing the gameplay to reflect more modern gaming. I'm going to say tropes for like a better word, but if you think of like do you want something that is like cut for cut remake for remake controls the exact same or do you want something like uh, like final fantasy 7 that just says here's the game we're reimagining it like what to you makes a good remake i mean i think you can do it both ways i mean final fantasy 7 remake you know like i said in my review last week which you know now that i finished the dlc which again i'll get into at the end of the show like it really just caps exactly what i want from a remake where it you know, it, it already does the visuals right. That's the that's the easy part. Like, get the visuals done, and you already have a good foundation. Now now the real work comes in with the gameplay. So they could have just done the simple thing and just went, slap that old ATB on there, playing his day, and everybody's happy. They went, no, let's actually do something different with it too. And they added the more action-based, even though there is a bit of an ATB aspect to it still, and they kind of switched it up. And then they brought in the open worlds a little bit more and all the extra stuff that you had to do there. It felt like a brand new game, even though it was taking off an old story. Although, without spoiling anything, the story's not the same either. So not every remake's going to do that. Some remakes will just keep the exact same story. It'll just be a slightly different um, way of how it looks. But I mean, with something like Morrowind, there's the other option, which is, again, you've refreshed the graphics like you would expect to. But then you just tweak a couple of the things, and you could probably even just put Mass Effect as in a similar thing with the Legendary Edition, where you just take some of the stuff that hasn't aged as well, you, tw- you tweak that a little bit so it ends up being something that doesn't feel like it's, it's taxing or it's falling flat. Maybe add a couple of new systems in there just to kind of really push it along a little bit faster. So, like, again, with Morrowind, like, a couple of key things realistically would just be a map with, with you know, van- like, waypoints... You have a radar system up top, like what Skyrim does. Like, 
there are a few little things that I think if they just put that into Morrowind, it'd be a lot easier for me to handle again. It also brings in a lot more new people in instead of a game that you literally just stare at a map and you know what mission you have, but you got to figure out where that thing is. And it doesn't tell yeah. you where. And I know some people like that. I know some people do like, you know, not being able to know where everything is, so they have to find it themselves. But at the same time, if I want to finish a game at some point, I kind of want to know everything. So it goes both yeah. ways. But I, th- I think it's one or the other. It's, it can be the flat-out, full, complete redesign like 7 Remake did, but I think there's, there's also a case for remakes that mostly just modernize the already decent gameplay that they have from the older game, but just making it so it doesn't feel like a 20-year-old game. Because again, like say with a Vice City... You don't have to do too much for the gameplay to change it. You just not have to not make it control like ass. Like, that's mm-hmm. really it. You just got to up the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I guess the sensitivity. It's got to be... You got to have the lock-on controls for when you're shooting. Like, there's stuff like that, like what GTA V does. You basically implement that. You've probably got it down pat. It's just a matter of getting it all to work together with, you know, good frame rates and having, you know, the visuals to back it up. There, there's both ways of doing it. You either overhaul it or you just make it good enough that like it doesn't feel like an old game, but it's an older game with a fresh coat of paint and like you know maybe a little bit of WD forty in the in the uh, in the joints. Yeah. See, I'm with you there. I think for me, when you're remastering, like remaking a game, I think it's it's a bit about like it's definitely like graphics. You definitely want the graphics to be improved. Um. And I think it's gameplay. I think you definitely need to refresh the gameplay. If I want to play the old game, I'll just play the old game. But like gaming in itself is a very iterative hobby. We're not, you know, it's not like something where it's consistent. Like if you, the way we watch the movie has not changed drastically since cinema started, but gaming changes almost yearly and we develop new ways of playing new sort of quality of life improvements. And unless your game was designed with gameplay, you know, exclusively, and I'm thinking of things like Mario, uh, like the the first few Marios where like the gameplay pretty much was the the driving force of that game. A lot of the times old games start to feel old. They they feel iterative and like you 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 miss the quality of life things that you have now with modern gaming. So when I'm looking for a remake, I'm looking for something that keeps that original story. And this might be because I'm enjoying my single player narrative games or whatever. But for me, it's one that, you know, captures that story that had in the first game. But, you know, giving those quality of life improvements that we've developed over the years or decades since that game has been released. Um, and I think when you go back to old games, you sort of miss that. So I, I think for me, the, the perfect remake, if I were to pick one, would be to have a combination of, hey, here's the story you love. Maybe we've tweaked it a little bit, but really what's changed is that it looks nicer and it plays better. And that's sort of what I look for from a, a remastered game. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, now, what do you think of the idea of like just the trend of the industry just starting to push out all these remakes? Like, do you think this bodes well for the industry? Or do you think this is just a phase? Like, what are your thoughts about all these remakes that are coming out? It's Does hard it to say. You at all? No, I, I think a lot of it right now is again, it's easier, especially you know, in this in this time where you know it's really hard to have a lot of new ideas because we can't all be sitting in in offices right now working on stuff. I'm not surprised that a lot of what's been going on the last couple of years have been remakes because it seems like it's a lot easier to do than to come up with new IP. 
Also, mm. I think we're at a point now where we have another generation of gamers that are ready for, you know, their nostalgia to come back in very similar ways of like the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo generation have gotten theirs. Now it's time for the PS2 and the PS3 gamers to get theirs. So I think we're at that point where it's time for another round of a good chunk of remasters and remakes. You know, some aren't going to be very good because some of it's just a cash grab, but we are going to have the ones, like I said earlier, with Final Fantasy VII Remake and others that will prop up along the way that, you know, are definitely worth its its salt. And, yeah, you know, it, I think it's stuff that's like, you're going to have to understand that it's going to be, a, it's going to happen all the way through from now on because we understand the nostalgia does sell very, very well, especially when we're talking really, really, really high quality games. So mm-hmm. I'm not surprised by it. It doesn't really bother me at all. You know, the I guess the only thing that bothers me is it doesn't remaster some games that I wish would get remastered or remade. So, you know, instead of, you know, remaking The Last of Us, which I didn't think made too much sense, or apparently The Last of Us 2 is already being rumored to get a bit of a fresh coat of paint already. It's like, you know, there's other games that, like, could really actually use it. Can, can we start on those first before we... Uh, we take a game that has barely had enough time to like start to decompose yet and try to, and try to bring it back to life. Yeah, I totally agree. I think we've talked about that before of what games we'd want to remake if we could. I think we've had that. Yeah. We've definitely before. had that conversation at some point. I couldn't tell you how far back, but we've definitely done it. Yeah. Some, something in the last 30 episodes, I'm sure we've talked about Oh, it. for sure. Now for me, I look at this idea of the remakes and studios putting on this and like, I think you're totally right. I think it's partially just, you know, everyone gets a shot at it. You know, new developers come out and like, it's iterative that every generation comes out and they're like, I grew up playing the PS2 games and now I want to remake those PS2 games. And that's totally fine. But I think it's also endemic of a a scenario that Hollywood even finds itself is that video games have now gotten so expensive to make that they're too big to fail in the sense that they can't really, it is too risky to come out with a new IP with a new story and taking that risk. Whereas you have, like you said, this low hanging fruit that, you know, there is a desire for a Bioshock and it's a known property and it will probably do well just selling on the name alone. And so I think a lot of studios are now looking at these remakes as hopefully a way to kind of take non risky moves to build some cash to make new IP. But I think a lot of them are also just looking at it as just an easy way to just kind of get a project that's going to guarantee to succeed. I think like they said, Mass- the Mass Effect Legendary Edition like blew it out of the water in terms of their expectations and so i think yeah we're going to see a lot more of these remakes and i think that's going to be a result of just companies being afraid to take risks yeah it's kind of the downside of it right like you know for every horizon there's always a bunch of new ip that just bomb and you don't Mm -hmm. want to be the company that spent millions upon millions of dollars putting your heart and soul into something and it doesn't sell so Mm -hmm. you know if you have a choice between making something like horizon or just remastering an Uncharted game. I mean, mm-hmm. what's your choice there? You know, sometimes yeah. it's well, it's worth taking the risk because obviously in, in the case of Horizon, now there's a whole new license that now again, you have another thing that you can start using as your cash cow because it's going to get people's attention. You know, now that God of War's come back, you know, that's another cash cow again. So I think if you're a company that has a bunch of licenses working, you have more of a freedom to do a new IP. But if you're a small company and you have like one or two major franchises to your name, is it really smart to try and make a third when you put you might put everything you have into that and it fails and all of a sudden you might actually be having to shut down your company? It might just be smarter 
to keep releasing those two things over and over again just because it's going to at least keep you afloat. It really just depends. Like maybe maybe you just hope that somebody buys you, you get a little bit of extra flow, you're under another banner now, so you have the extra money to go work with. It really depends on the size of the company. I think if you're like a Sony or a Nintendo or an EA or a Ubisoft, like you have a little bit more free reign. But if we're talking smaller developers that aren't like part of a major brand, you got to be careful. That's why I think a lot of them are also leaning in the direction of, you know, remaking or stuff like that, because it's just it's easier for them because they know that they can get some money out of it. Yeah, I I do think that the idea of having a dedicated studio, so like Bethesda having Artifact now and Sony having Bluepoint, like I like that strategy because it doesn't feel like it's taking away resources from the company and from the studios of making it's new more stuff. like adding new resources into that one specific thing while not changing what everybody else is doing exactly exactly and that's kind of what i'm hoping to see like i'm glad that that's what uh bethesda and sony are doing and i hope that more companies do that whereas i hope it's not take two taking one of their studios and saying hey instead of making new stuff go remake this old stuff yeah if we're missing out on another bully 2 game that gets canceled again because of this stuff i'm gonna lose my shit i've how long have we been waiting for that? And I'm still waiting for it. I'd love to see it's it. It's not coming. I know it's, it's never coming. coming. No. But I want it uh, to. S- speaking of getting fired up, uh, y- you said you had some grievances to air. Can I do my review first? Because it falls in tandem with that. Sure. Let's do that. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as you know, we are not influential enough or rich enough to get our games early or on time. So we review games on our own dime and on our own time. So we bring you the reviews when we can, as we can. And that makes them untimely reviews. Last week, Adam came to us with Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, and he said he was playing the DLC and he has now completed it. And I'm sure, Adam, you love the game. And then this DLC just went sideways and just fell apart, I'm sure. Yeah, right? what, a, what, what a garbage game. I don't know why I spent... It's weird that they made it a free-to-play, you know, role-playing RTS. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. Making a uh, a third person shoot. Oh wait, they did that with Final Fantasy VII. Never mind. Um, <laughs> no, I played the Yuffie uh, Intermission DLC, which was a pretty mm-hmm. quick four to five hour journey. Um, honestly, like I'm not going to say too too much that would be any different from what you would expect from my review from last week about Final Fantasy VII remake. For those who are watching this episode, maybe even watching live right now, because we got five viewers in, in right now, uh, I up, absolutely adored this game. Like. It's it went from seven. The original went from like not even in my top five of all time for Final Fantasy. And now the remake is like my second all time. It's amazing. And the DLC with with uh, Yuffie just basically gave me more of what I wanted. And not only did it give me more of what I wanted, it made me actually really enjoy a character that normally you don't get a lot of time with. And that's going to be the crux of my review here. But before I get to that, I'll just quickly, you know, say my little piece about about the DLC. Um you know, it's it's not too different from what you already expect with the base game. It does add a few th- interesting things. Like, they add this little weird, like, strategy board game as, like, a side thing you do along with some of those small things. The missions within the game, in the story, they do a nice job of mixing it because... <sighs> this is kind of a spoiler, but not really. It takes place during the time where the Sector 7 plate gets lowered. So it, there, I love how it takes a character that you never see in Midgar and apply it to this story that is all on the first disc of the original game and never happens to be including her. And they found a way to mix it all together. It made perfect sense. Everything falls in line. And they even managed to tie it in, oddly enough, with other games that had nothing to do with the base game either. Like, Dirge of Cerberus has a weird connection to this game, which is something I was not expecting. 
So I had that little bit of a surprise to it too. But most importantly, the story actually does something that, you know, even the base game kind of didn't do. It actually made me like a little bit emotional because the ending actually really does hit a bit of a heartstring, which is, you know, Seven mostly did the good feelings. This DLC kind of like was good feelings and then was like, oh, that, that sucked. Oh. And then they did a good job of just leading into what'll be, I, I assume to be part two whenever that happens to finally get released. But the most important thing, honestly, is that they made me love Yuffie more than I already do. I don't know why people hated her so much in the base game. I get it. She stole your materia, but like, I guess you just don't hate, I guess you hate the archetypical anime girl. I guess that's the big thing with Yuffie. I mean, this DLC, I'm like, okay, try hating her now. Good luck. She goes out of her way to, tr- to make it impossible. Unless you just don't like anime, in which case, I don't know what you're doing playing this game at this point. Yeah. And this is, so two questions I have for you. So once again, someone who's never played Final Fantasy VII, all that, is this sort of like an original story? Like they're fleshing out a story? Like this was never in the original game. No, this is completely brand new territory. This character does not even exist in the game during the time that it's put into. So they've written a whole new story. There is a little bit of crossover. Like you do, you don't end up talking with the main cast of the game, but you will talk to some of the like side characters that are a part of it. They do a good job of, of putting it together without it feeling like it's taking something away. There's, it's not like Yuffie suddenly joins the game and it ruins like something in the story. Like all of a sudden this thing is explained because Yuffie did it this entire time. No, there's none of that. It's mm-hmm. her own thing. It just happens to brush past the main story, but it's her own story. It doesn't take away from anything. Mm-hmm. now the other thing i'm just watching this gameplay that you've got going on here we talked about this last week and that the jrpg anime aesthetic was nothing something that always kind of turned me off of jrpg games and you said that the first like the remake itself was really good about sort of veering away from those tropes watching this it seems like it's fallen back into that very anime sort of wacky zany cutesy sort of realm is that a fair perception or, or that is Yuffie's character though. So it's not a surprise. Like Yuffie okay. is basically that. Okay. You know, she's a teenage ninja who clearly must've watched a few too many cartoons. So instead of growing up to be a serious ninja, she basically just turned into like, she must've watched Naruto for her entire childhood and decided that this is what she wanted to do. She is an absolute clutch. She's clumsy as shit. Like, and she's just bubbly as, as hell. So she is an anime girl. That's a ninja. So, this specific DLC, if that's not your thing, then you probably won't be down for it. But like, okay, you know, if no, if, and I know I'm not the tar- I'm not the target audience, and I'm not trying to say that they have to cater to me. I just I've always kind of looked at Final Fantasy VII remake as like, yeah, this might be the one that gets in. And just watching this, it's like, no, this is just this specific not DLC, probably not. Yeah. Now, it, do you feel like this is integral? Like, you obviously don't know where the next game is going in this remake, but do you feel like this is integral to where the story is going, or do you feel like this is just a hey, if you're looking for extra or more, this is more for you to have. It depends. Like, at this point in time, I would say I don't think it's going to have anything to do with the main story. Although, because of some of the things they've kind of shown, it makes me wonder if maybe there's a few things going to get added in down the line. But, like, realistically, you take this story aside, there's probably not going to be anything that that affects the main plot. Because she doesn't, like I said, she doesn't do anything to change the context of the main story. And, you know, realistically, like, all it does is actually well that's a that's a lie the last two minutes of the game like after the credits roll does show a little bit of what i guess leads into part two that's the only thing like they show 
Like, everybody knows at the end of Disc 1 in the original game is you leaving Midgar and you going towards... I can't remember the town name. I think it's Calm with a K or something like that. Something okay. like that. But it shows this last little cutscene. It's just showing the main group on their journey towards that next place. So it's nothing... Like, that's... If anything, all you gotta... If you don't want to play this DLC, just watch the end cutscene on YouTube and you'll get pretty much what you need out of this. But otherwise, like, okay. this, this is pretty much just an extra. It, it mo It's... It's giving you a chance to like a character or at least get a little bit more knowledge of a character that you normally don't get to spend nearly as much time with. Because in the original game, Yuffie doesn't really get a lot. And you mm -hmm. can completely bypass her in the original game. You don't even have to recruit her. So this may be some player's first chance of really getting to know her compared to people who played the original game and just backed off on it because they didn't care for it. So I, okay. I like so that. So, like, maybe trying to endear her so that when you get to the natural part in the game where, yeah, this is just not doing anything for me, just watching this video. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, if you're listening to the, potty, the audio podcast, lady, this lady is basically just fighting with a weird cactus Oh, it's actually, well, thing. I think it's like a DLC weapon, but normally it's just a shuriken. It's just a giant okay. shuriken. Okay, well. It's probably the DLC thing that this that And this, they, su uh, they summoned a cat to fight a giant robotic. This is, no, this is not doing anything for me. <laughs> That's um, all DLC. That's that's all uh, that's all stuff you have to buy, like all the summons and stuff. Okay. Yeah, that's all. Stuff oh, you, you pay buy. for this? Oh my goodness! Actually, I think some of them are free, but I might be wrong. Okay, fair enough. Adam, in terms of where this game is going, how do you want to see it continue? Do you want to see it do more like large installments, like the Final Fantasy remake originally, or do you want to see more of these small four or five hour sections piecemeal? That's the challenge, right? Like, because now that I've played Intermission, I'm like shit. Do I want part two faster or do I want more of these? Because this is a really good way of fleshing out characters that we normally don't get to deal with. I would, I almost would love for them to like do a small DLC with Avalanche pre-Cloud, like almost like a prequel, like just a quick thing of like them setting up and getting like that first run before the game actually starts. Like there's mm -hmm. stuff like that that would be really cool. And there's, there's a bunch of other characters that we still haven't even seen yet. You got Vincent, Sid, and Kate Sith, who we all haven't gotten to look at yet. So there's mm -hmm. there's obviously a lot of directions they could go with. They could even go off really off the board and take some of the villains and give them a little bit more backstory. Like there's some interesting ways of them going about it because it's not like it's not something different they've done before. If I'm not mistaken, there was a phone game way back, like we're talking like 2000s, where mm -hmm. they actually fleshed out the. Uh, I guess you could call it like the Secret Service. In the game, they're called the Turks, mm -hmm. and they did a game that kind of fleshed them out a little bit, although it's a phone game. You can't really expect much. But there is mm -hmm. that part of me that's like, man, I'd be really curious to see what else they could do with like these small three to five hour installments. And I don't know yeah. how much work it takes from them, but like, I think it's really interesting that instead of just being like, all right, base game's done. Okay, let's work on the next one and get the story going, that they decided to stop and said, hey, you know what? This person hasn't really got a chance to shine. Maybe we should actually, like, put some effort into that. Maybe do something fun with it. Maybe flesh out the story a little bit. And now that they've done it, I'm torn between whether I just want them to get on with the with the next base game or to do a couple more of these first. That's the ultimate mm -hmm. conundrum that I'm kind of stuck with because they did such a good job with this one, personally, for me. Yeah. So in terms of rating, how are you going to rate it? I'd still do the exact same thing, give it a 10. Like I, And it was quick, too, so it didn't say it's welcome, so I loved every bit of it. Not to mention, there's one point in this where it just randomly breaks out into like a crazy like metal battle music, and I was like, okay, this is cool. But it, if anybody's played, um, obviously you're not going to know, but 13-2 
had a very weird like heavy metal chocobo theme where it had had lyrics and everything very similar to that song if anybody knows what i'm talking about like they have a random song that just plays out and there's full-on lyrics in it and it sounds like a heavy like metal like kind of not Limp Biscuit, but like a rap sort of metal song. And it was really awesome. And I wasn't expecting it. It made, it made that battle as short as it was because I was playing on easy because, you know, I, I, I don't like getting my ass kicked. It ended up making it like a really enjoyable moment and just something that I wasn't anticipating. So, And that's another thing that this game's done so well, like I said in the last review, just the random like covers or random music tracks that they kind of bring into it just to kind of change the flow up that isn't just the same like the same two genres that they play over and over again you get your jazz in there you get your metal in there you get a little bit of everything and i like that they've mm-hmm. done a little bit more with it so yeah <laughs> this game was just as good as the base it was a nice addition to it so i'm gonna throw one more question out there so give it a ranking of required recommended or disposable recommended uh, like it, okay. it's it's I'm only saying recommended because I don't think you need to play it. If if it was a you need to play it to enjoy the story, to, along with the base game, then I would say required. But because it's it's its own side story, like I personally think it should be required if you're playing a Final Fantasy game. But it's recommend because you don't have to play it. Okay, cool. Also, it's pretty expensive if you buy it at full price. So it's twenty bucks, which is a lot for four to five hours. But it's a pretty good four to five hours. I think had I not been console sharing with my friend who ended up buying it, so I didn't have to worry about it. If I was actually buying it personally, now looking back, I probably would have paid like 10, 15 bucks for it at most. Not the, not the okay. price that they're asking here. And this is Canadian, by the way, for anybody listening in the States or anywhere else in the world. So, Yeah. Uh, now, you said you did have a gripe or a hot take or a rant to go on. That was tangentially associated with this. Yeah, so... It's something that I'm finally getting to a point that, like, I need these to go away and never come back. So the one thing in 7 Remake that happens, and a lot of other games do this, is you know how, you know, if you want to open a door, you just hit the X button? Mm -hmm. You know, pretty basic shit. But then there's always that one thing that they say, but you got to hold down the X button. Because we got to immerse you in pulling that lever. Or you got to tap that square button because you really got to push that door open. We need to stop doing that. Yeah. Honestly, I'm with you in, in the sense that, and I call this the destiny effect. Uh, basically, this whole, you have to hold down, try, like, this This pissed me off when I was playing, like, things like Assassin's Creed, or I'm playing, um, like, when you're playing, like, video games, and they're like, you have to hold this to pick up the item. I'm like, no, like, why would I when where is there a situation in the world that I do not want to pick up more ammo or that I don't want to pick up a health kit? Like I don't want to hold triangle to pick up an like item. useful like, items should just be automatic. It shouldn't even be a button mm-hmm. prompt. It should just be, hey, that's ammo on the ground. Pick it up because you're going to want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally the thing. And no, like I think there's a time and place for quick time events. I, I, I'm with you like they need they're they're getting so they're proliferating so much in terms of how many games are using them. And I don't think they're using them well because having a situation where I just have to repeatedly press square or lose the game is not compelling or interactive gameplay. Um, What I would like to see in terms of quick time events is I'd like to see them be meaningful in that I'm doing a quick time event and there's no fail state in terms of the quick time event, but the choice I make, like if I don't press it fast enough or if I do it wrong, 
there it changes something. So I'm trying to think of like a situation where um like think of like something I'm thinking of like Spider-Man and there's that one quick time event where you go and you're like shooting the webs you press an R1 and R2 or sorry R2 Yeah, like when L2. you're trying to save like people from or like when you're trying to take down like the bad guys that are running away in the car and mm-hmm. if you do it yeah. wrong, you still win but you also take damage. Whereas yeah, if you do exactly. it right, the car stops and nothing happens. But I'm thinking of that one where you're fighting like, is it like Mr. Negative or whatever? And like the helicopter and the crane's falling. And you're like shooting the webs to catch the helicopter. I don't remember exactly the full details, but like it's part of like the cutscene. And I think one, putting quick time events and cutscenes is good because it makes it now just from going from a passive activity to now like you're engaged, you're active. It doesn't feel as disconnected. From yeah, you're the not game. just watching a movie exactly and there's some games and some developers who maybe have too long of cutscenes that need to have some gameplay element and that might be a way of doing it but imagine if you had a situation where the quick time events dictated what the story what happened in the story so i'm thinking of like the spider-man one like let's say you don't do the quick time events properly the game continues on it doesn't matter but like instead of saving the city or saving the people you know there's a crash or something like that. And well, like, like you people... said, the helicopter thing, if you don't save it now for the rest of the game, there is a portion of the city that there's just this crash helicopter, the, like the pavements all, all bunched up. There's damage everywhere. So like maybe by the end of the game, there's these little patches around the city where there's just damage. Like there's just mm-hmm. damage that hasn't been cleaned up. So it tells you like, this is where you failed. I don't exactly. think I would want like, sh- like massive story changes. Cause I think that's something you can do more of like, I would rather stu- like story, like heavy story-based changes, similarly to what you know you do when you're playing like a Mass Effect game where you choose one or the other. I don't want a quick time event where like a sudden lapse in judgment and it fucks up the story for the rest of the game. I want like no, more I- small things that like affect like the area around you. I wouldn't want like a heavy story detail to be changed by a quick time event that just because but I you missed could, my button. You could prompt. scale it though. But you could scale it though. So like you could have it. So like some quick time events, like you said, the helicopter scene crashes. Maybe people are like, man, where was Spider-Man? Spider-Man failed us. Like blah, blah, blah. Like it just changes like minor things in the game, but it just gives you that sense that like you screwed up or you succeeded and that impacted the game. But I'm also thinking like, did you ever play God of War three? Uh, no, the only one I've ever actually finished was the newest one. So, okay. So spoilers for God of War three, whatever. There's a, quick time event at the end of the game when you're fighting zeus and it's done really interestingly in that it's a quick time event and you basically have him pinned and you are just pummeling him just constant one two one two and the prompts are there and if i remember correctly the prompts are there and you think that you have to do it but you could literally i think keep going indefinitely and it doesn't stop until you stop so like you kind of realize afterwards like, oh, I don't need to be doing this. And it's kind of an interesting mechanic in that you are doing like you are like being excessively violent against Zeus when the game is not compelling you, but you're just kind of going through um, the motions or you're just doing it because it's a quick time event. And that's what you're supposed to do. You do it till it tells you to stop. And I think doing something like that is really interesting where if quick time events could be used as a story mechanic in that, you could be attacking Zeus for as long as you want. If you just want to punch him one, two, subdue him, and then you're done, great. If you are wanting narratively to like just take out all your anger and frustration, and you could just go for you know minutes to hours if you wanted to theoretically. And I think that's where it does interesting choices. And so I think having this mindless, oh, press circle, press square, 
congratulations, you've subdued the enemy. That's boring. Yeah, I think I think but if I it's think used we... in the context of like a cutscene, I think there's a lot of different ways you can use it. In mm-hmm. like a basic, especially in an open world game, like I can understand press to open door, but after that, like press to use, I shouldn't have to, like I said earlier, hold it because it's a heavier door, or I shouldn't have to tap a button over and over again because I got to hold this thing open. I don't think that stuff works really well in the context of a game. I think it has to be used in a place where you know, it actually is going to mean something. If it's just a basic thing and you're using it over and over again, it's just padding time. That's all it's doing. And we know that that's what it's doing now. It's just, it's like the old classic, you know, shimmying through a really tight gap in a wall. So it gives the game time to load up a, a, an area for it. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with the, with these hold open the door, like hold triangle to open door, like seven remake does where it's just, you're wasting my time. I'm sure there's a reason for why you're making me do this, but you're wasting my time. Please stop. Like, I want to enjoy <laughs> the game. I'm opening a door with the same button prompt, and now you need me to hold it down just because it's a lever and not a door? Like, get out of mm-hmm. here. Like, there's got to be a different way of doing that. Yeah, I, I think that those, like, mindless, no consequence. Because, like, oftentimes when you fail those quick time events, there's no penalty, there's no consequence other than just do it again and if that's the case then what's what's the compelling choice in doing that yeah and there i don't think there is one i think you're right i think it's 100 percent just hiding some sort of save or like loading screen or something like that which is fine you know i know that i know developers have like secrets to kind of hide their loading screens but it it, it sucks it's not fun so yeah i'm with you i thought it was a harder take though i thought i thought i thought there'd be more ranting <laughs> Well, maybe it's maybe it's it's too hot in here that I just don't have the the uh, capacity to go too crazy. I probably it probably is a smart thing that I'm not getting too animated because I might just sweat more. (laughs) Yeah, you just gotta stay cool. Yeah, let's let's not talk. Let's not talk about Activision Blizzard. Then I'll be in here for another half an hour, and I'm literally gonna be sweating buckets by the end of the by the end of the show. Just beat red, yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let us know what you think about quick time events. If you think that. How would you want to see them utilized? You know, do they kind of suck or do they have their purpose? Um, but remember, we'll you have up. to always press F to pay respects. That much you have to do. Always press F. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our 30th and live episode of the Pixel Play podcast. If you are one of the ones watching us live, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, if this is your first time checking out the episode, thank you so much for sticking with us. We hope it was good for you. If you're one of our regulars who's been sticking with us, hey, we really appreciate having you guys around. Why don't you guys be part of the show? You guys can email us at pixelplaypodcast at gmail.com. You can always reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram at pixelplaycast. Um, yeah, and that's how you reach us. We are wherever you get your podcasts, and you can check us out at YouTube at pixelplaypodcast. I've been your host, Kalen, a.k.a. Catastrophe, and my co-host, Adam C.S. Radical. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week.